All the way through our study in the book of Acts, uh, really it has been a point of evaluation to consider, uh, is this what our church looks like? Are these the things that our church is endeavoring to do? And am I that follower of Christ? Am I that disciple? Well, in that understanding today, I want to ask the question as we, as we come to the close of chapter 6, a, a very real question and a very personal question. And, and the question is this, are you okay being a nominal Christian? Are you fine with being an average follower of Jesus Christ? Now, really, the question is, is that even a thing? Is that even a possibility? But if it is, are you okay with just getting by as a believer? Is good enough good enough for you? You're going to heaven. You've been saved. You've got your eternal life secured by faith in Jesus Christ. And so now you're just going to take it out of gear and put it in neutral and coast for a while. Is that okay with you? Is that fine with you? Because if it is, I'm not sure you're seeing Jesus. Not really, not truly as he is. I, I think if that is fine with you, you're not really understanding the depth of the riches of our salvation. We're saved, not of works. There's nothing we can do. We're, we're saved uh, out, uh, out of anything that we could ever muster up in the power of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, my, my goal, my purpose, my heart is that I want to tell you and I want to show you and I really want to entice you to not settle. I, I want to encourage you to not be content, but rather to exist as a radical, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, that is my mission. That is, that is my hope, and that you would, be, you would be encouraged and you would be taught to not sell out, but to exist as a radical, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just tell you, here is a great mystery if we are trusting God with our eternities, if we are trusting him with our eternal destiny, now I want you to think how huge that is. You have trusted him with your eternal destiny. Why are we not able to give him our daily lives now? Why are we not sold out now? Why are we holding back now if we've trusted him with something as huge as our eternity? I've said this before, and, I, and, I, and I, this thought came into my brain again this week. I've said this before, but here's the truth. A radical Savior ought to have radical disciples. And that's what I believe. A radical Savior ought to have, it ought to be the natural thing, it ought to be the normal thing. A radical Savior ought to have radical disciples. Well, today we're going to study just such a disciple. A person like us, now I want to say that over and over again, a person like us who is sold out to his Savior, Jesus Christ. Our message today is entitled, The Radical Disciple. The Radical Disciple. We're in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, verses 8 through the remainder of the chapter. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word the radical disciple. Acts chapter six, beginning here in the eighth verse. 
man Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, included both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly introduced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they, brought, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful. We're thankful that by your own hand, you lead us. That through your word, you, you lead us. That through the Holy Spirit, you do not leave us as orphans, but you lead us. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful, and I pray that, that your faithful followers, yes, we would be. Lord, I, I pray rejoicing in my salvation, a, a, a forgiveness of sin, a redemption, a, a purchase back in blood. And the result is eternal life with you, reconciliation with the holy God. Lord, I pray that, that, I, that I would be and that we would be astounded by that. And Lord, I, I pray as we, as we cross through these verses today, as we see and we study this radical disciple, I pray that, that we would no longer be content to just exist, that we would no longer be content to just get by, but we would long to, to be close to you and walk with you and stand for you and to point to you and to bring much glory to you. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of those type of disciples. Lord, I pray that in the preaching of your word and in the, in the, in the spirit of God that lives inside of us, that that would be the result. Lord, I pray for someone in this room that doesn't know you. For whatever reason, they've come and they, they're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today, on this day, in this hour, that they would hear of their Savior. That they would hear of your grace. And for the glory of a risen Savior, that today they would put their trust in you, their hope in you for their salvation. Lord, I pray that you move in their hearts. Lord, I, I come and as, as we begin to study, I ask again that you would speak, that you would lead, that we would be changed. And I pray the result is you be glorified. And I trust all of it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in our study of this radical disciple, we're going to see three things. As we move through these verses, we're going to see three things. We're going to see first God's disciple. Then we're going to see God's wisdom. And then the third thing we're going to see is God's approval. And so again, as we move through these verses, we're going to look at these three things. God's disciple, we're going to see God's wisdom. And the third thing, we're going to see God's Approval. So we're going to begin today looking at God's disciple. Let's look at verse 8. And Stephen, 
full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Here in verse 8, Stephen, remember, one of the seven that was selected for the serving of the tables of the widows in the preceding verses, now becomes the focus. Earlier, he was part of a group, again, selected for the serving of the tables, but now in verse 8, he becomes the focus. Now, understand, and I think we need to be sure of this, he is one of the most influential people in the history of the church. If you look at the impact that his ministry have, if you see what came out of it, the fruit that came out of it, he is one of the most influential people in the history of the church. His ministry was short, but his influence, his impact was certainly profound. And so understand, this, this disciple, Stephen, has a great impact in the movement forward of the church. Well, here in verse 8, and really in this section, we're going to see the description of Stephen. Here is this disciple. We're going to see an awesome disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to see the description recorded in God's word of this disciple. Now, in the preceding verses, it says of Stephen, he was full of the Spirit. He is full of wisdom, and he is full of faith. Now, in verse 8, we add to that description, he is also full of grace, and he's full of power. So we see these five things. He's full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, faith. He's full of grace, and he's full of power. Now, let's look at that very carefully this morning. Now, the word full of, the, the Greek word, the original language, literally means to be filled up. Now, I want you to see as we describe this disciple, the, the exact precise language that God uses. It is to be totally filled up, completely filled up, overtaken, filled up totally. Now, it means in context to be under the control of something or to be controlled by. And so he is filled up. He is totally full of, and so he is under the control of something. And so now look at this description in this understanding. It says first, Stephen is full of the Spirit. He is full of the Spirit. Now what that means is he is submitted to, he is led by, and he is obeying the Spirit of God that lives inside of him. That's what it means. He is, he is led by, he is obeying, he is submitted to the Spirit of God. Now understand this, when we are saved, the Bible says, Ephesians 1.13, other places as well, we are filled, totally filled with the Spirit of God. But also understand, to be full of the Spirit means that you are given over to his control. In, in Ephesians, you read the example there, a person that is filled with wine, that's the example, they're no longer under their own control. They're under the influence of the wine. They start to walk differently. They start to think differently. They start to talk differently. They are under the control of the wine. Well, that's the example that, that God uses. And so understand, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God means you're under the control of, you're under the influence of, you're led by the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen very carefully. 
Let me sum this up for us in one word. Obedience. Obedience. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to hear this. Man, in this day, we need to be sure of this. If a person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that is not some deep state of worship. That is not speaking in tongues. That is not an emotional display. But rather, listen to me, if a person is filled with the Spirit of God, this is what he explains in his word, it is existing in a life of obedience. It means you're led by the Spirit of God. You're submitted to the Spirit of God. You are obedient to the, to the Spirit of God. A person filled with the Holy Spirit of God is marked by obedience. Now, you know what's a lot easier than that? An emotional response. You know, you can fake an emotional response, man. Woo, look at them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what's a lot easier than that? An ecstatic response, some ecstatic display. Oh, man, the Spirit must be upon them. You know what's hard? You know what is real? Radical obedience to God. Listen, a person filled with the Holy Spirit of God will walk in obedience to that Spirit, the Spirit of God. Well, that's Stephen. That's the explanation of Stephen. He is obedient. He is filled with the Spirit of God. Next thing it says this. <clears throat> he is filled with wisdom. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. He's filled, same way, totally filled with wisdom. Now, this is the wisdom of God. This was not the world's wisdom. This wasn't the culture's logic. You know, the culture has a lot of logic, but rather this is the wisdom of God. Now, where do we find the wisdom of God? We find it in the word of God. And so Stephen is filled with the wisdom of God. He is filled, totally filled with the word of God. He possessed godly Wisdom, And so see this picture of this disciple. He is filled with godly wisdom. He is full of the word of God. And if this situation occurs or if this situation presents himself, you know what? The godly wisdom inside of him wells up and he's full of godly wisdom, the word of God. Next thing we see in his description is he is full of faith. That's what it says. He is full of faith. Now, understand the context here. That is trust in the truth of Jesus. This disciple, Stephen, he is filled with a faith in Jesus, a trust in the truth of Jesus. You know what he trusts? He trusts that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the answer to prophecy, that he was the one that was foretold of in the Old Testament. He trusts that. He trusts that he is the way. He's no longer looking for another way. He trusts that he's the truth. He's not listening to other truth. He trusts that he's the life. He has found life in him. He trusts that he's his savior. He's sure of that. He trusts that he's the slain lamb. He trusts that he's the risen lamb. He trusts that if you're under the blood of Jesus, he is the Passover lamb. He has faith in the truth of Jesus. He trusts that he's the coming king. That's why he has hope to endure. That's why he knows the eternal matters. He has trust that he is the coming king. And so Stephen is full of 
a belief, a trust, sure and settled in his heart that Jesus is the Messiah. You know what? He's not wishy-washy. You know what? He's no longer sitting somewhere saying, well, I gotta add the facts up. He is filled with a faith, a trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, let me start to connect the dots of this awesome, radical disciple of Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. Start to, start to see, we've got five words that describe him. Start to connect the dots as we put together his description. He is full of the word of God. And I want you to follow this. Being full of the word of God produces faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And so he's full of the word of God, and so he, he has faith. It produces faith. He is full of faith. He is settled and, and sure in his belief, and faith produces obedience. Do you see this? He's full of the truth of God, and that result is, is he's full of faith, and that result is he's full of obedience. He walks in radical obedience. What that means is he, he is a person driven by crazy, radical obedience to Jesus Christ. If God says go, it means go. If God says slow, it means slow. If God says jump, if the word of God says jump, if the leading of God says jump, you know what, he's not seeing how deep the pool is, he's jumping. If the Bible says be holy as he is holy, he doesn't have to say, well, what's the culture gonna say about that? He is seeking to be holy. He is full of the word of God, and so he's filled with a faith in God, in Christ, and that results in his obedience. Let me ask the question, are you still content to be normal? Is that okay with you? Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Man, they're so filled with the word of God that there's a deep resounding faith in God and the wisdom of God drives their step and they walk in obedience. Are you content to still be normal? Is that okay? Because I want to tell you the truth is this. We can be filled with the Spirit, obedient. We can be filled with God's wisdom, the Word of God. We can be filled with faith. You see, I don't, I don't want you to make a distinction and say, well, that was Stephen. Man, praise the Lord for Stephen. I want you to understand, he was a disciple like you were a disciple we can be filled with the Spirit. We can be filled with wisdom. We can be filled with faith. So are you content to still be normal? There's two new pieces added to the description here in verse eight. It says the next thing, the fourth thing, that he was filled with God's grace, full of grace. He's filled with grace. Now, I want you to see, that's, that's really probably a double understanding, a double meaning there with one word. This is God's grace to him. He's full of that, but it's also God's grace through him. And, and we, we see that. And so understand, following, follow with me, God's wisdom in him and God's obedience walked out through him and, and, and his faith that filled his heart because of those things, listen, God's hand is on him. He is full of God's grace, and God's grace is evident through him. God's kindness is shown 
to him. Here's a guy that walks in obedience. Here's a person of tremendous faith and God's kindness is shown to him, but through that, God's kindness is also shown through him. Now, that means God is able to work in the life of this disciple. Do you see that? Walking in obedience, he's able to walk, work in the life of this disciple, believing, submitting, obeying, walking. His grace is with him and his grace is on display, evident through him. Now, I I, want to show you what that practically looks like. You want to know why I think he was chosen to serve the widow's Here's these Hellenistic widows and they're being neglected in the serving of their meal, their one meal. And and he's chosen at at this time about 20,000 people in the church. He's chosen as one of seven to serve the widows. You you don't know why I believe that is? You see, most people would have said, nah, that's too low of a job for me. Nah, do do you not see my resume? Do you not see how I'm described? Do you not see my stature, my reputation in the church? No, I don't, I don't think I'll do that. That's, that's beneath me. Let somebody else do that. Let somebody else prove their worth. Let somebody start there at the bottom. Let somebody else take care of that. That's what most people have said. But that's not what happened with Stephen. You see, God's grace, his kindness was shown to Stephen And Stephen is the kind of disciple that he can't keep it to himself and God's grace is shown through him. And so I want you to see here are these widows and their husbands are dead. And when they go to bed at night, they think about the voice of their husband and they think about the times they had and they're missing their husband and their hearts are broken. And more than that, their kids aren't taking care of them. That was the real system. Their kids, for whatever reason, maybe they live somewhere else, maybe they're in neglect, but their kids don't have any part of them. They're not checking on them. They're not making sure they have their food. And their future's bleak. It doesn't look like there's any hope. The greatest days are behind them. The kids are grown. My husband's dead. It doesn't look like there's any future for me. And not only that, I'm here, and I've waited all day, and I'm hungry, and I don't have anything to eat, and I, and I don't know what, what I'd do if it wasn't for this church. And here comes Stephen, And the grace of God is upon him. And so the grace of God is known through him. And he takes his plate and he serves this widow. That's what that means. What a a disciple. What What a tremendous disciple. Listen, that is a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you still content to be normal? Is that still okay with you? Wouldn't you like it to be said they were filled with the grace of God and it was evident through them? That's this disciple, Stephen. The last thing it says, he was full of power, full of power. He is performing, the verse says, signs and wonders, miraculous displays to confirm the gospel. That's what that is. Uh, The scripture tells us the apostles Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas are the only ones that are recorded in Scripture that that ever did signs and wonders. But but he is confirming the gospel through the the demonstration of God's power in signs and wonders. Through Stephen, the the power of God is on display. Now, I want to be sure and say this and listen very carefully. Now, first off, the power of God is not what the world says. Be sure of that. But I I want to say this, and I believe this. When you find a person... 
and they are full of the Holy Spirit of God, and they are radically obedient to God, and they are filled with the wisdom of God, they're filled up with the word of God, and, and they have an unshakable faith in Jesus Christ, a settled faith in Jesus Christ, and they are filled with God's grace, and they're agents of God's grace, let me tell you this, you will find a person that the power of God is on display. Well, I'd like that to be me. Well, I want to tell you, there's the description. Well, I'd like, I'd like to see that this weekend. Well, wouldn't you like to, to be known for that this weekend? There's the description. When you find a person and they're obedient to God and their heart's filled with the word of God, their mind's filled with the word of God, they're, they're obedient radically, they have a faith that's unshakable in their Savior, Jesus Christ, and the grace of God is upon them, and the grace of God is through them. You will find a person that the power of God is on display in their life. Listen to me. If that doesn't do something to you, if there's some other kind of power that's more attractive to you, then I don't think you're seeing Jesus, not, not as he is, not truly. I want you to be sure of that. I want you to hear that today. A disciple of Jesus Christ filled with the spirit of God, the wisdom of God, the faith in Christ, God's grace and God's power in them will be demonstrated the powerful work of God. Are you content to be normal? You can leave here and be normal. Is that okay with you? You know what, we've got lunch and we've got TV we're not coming back tonight. There's something more attractive than that. Are you content to be normal? Is that okay with you? Because there's something about Stephen that you find attractive. There's something about this description you'd like to see in your life. All right, the first thing we see is God's disciple. Next thing we're gonna see is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Verse nine, let's read it. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, again, remember from last week, these were Greek Jews who had come back from the diaspora, the dispersion, and they had come back to Jerusalem and they had established these synagogues with their own culture, with their own language. One of those groups, the Cilicians, uh, one of those groups, Paul likely comes out of that group. Well, the Bible says these three groups, they assemble together and they rose up. They rose up. It, it literally means they stood up. They actually physically stand up. They, they stood up and they argued with Stephen. They argued with Stephen. The Greek word here is debated. Now, understand it wasn't a fight. It wasn't a physical fight. It was a, it was a true debate. And they would present their sides and they would make their case and they would present their proofs and they would, they would use their scriptures. And he is declaring that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's making the case for that. And, and he would have used scriptures as we're gonna see. He would have tied it to history as we're gonna see. And he would have made the case that Jesus is the Messiah. And they are saying that is a lie. That is a falsehood. And they are making their case. And they're trying to use their verses and their scriptures. And they're saying it is not true. Now I wanna point out this. 
to defend the truth, you have to know the truth. And doesn't that just, that just seems like it makes sense. That seems logical. To defend the truth, you have to know the truth. I want to tell you today in, in, in 2020, today in our culture, today in our world, we better know the truth. And there's every attack in the word of God that's going on. There's attacks in the middle of churches springing up and every heresy you ever thought unimaginable is being proclaimed as the word of God. And, and in this day and age, we had better know the truth. And I want to tell you to say, well, that's not my thing. That's too hard for me. Well, I'm not going to bother with that. I'll let somebody else worry about that. It's not going to cut it in this day. To say, you know what, I'm saved. I've got that settled and I've led my family to do the same. And so I'm moving on. I've got things to do that will not get it in this day. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always being, always being continual, ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give them an account for the hope that is in you. If there is a hope in you, be ready to give an account to explain the hope that is in you. I'm gonna tell you, I'm afraid we're not ready. I'm afraid we're not ready. You know what? If I said there's an enemy coming, he's gonna attack us and go home and get your guns, I think we'd have so many guns in this parking lot to be crazy. The crossfire probably kill all of us. But if I said somebody's gonna come and they're saying, you know what, he wasn't born of a virgin, and I don't think that matters. If they say, you know what, he wasn't physically actually resurrected, I don't think that matters. You know what, I, I think there's other ways to be saved, and we're gonna have to defend that. In the word of God's how we're gonna have to defend it. You know what, I think we try to get our guns and go back home somewhere else. I don't think we're ready. And in this day and age, you can't defend the truth if you don't know the truth. It's not gonna cut it to say, Lord, I've put my faith in Christ and that's enough. We have to know the truth. Guess what this disciple Stephen, he pops up and he says, let me make the case that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the kind of disciple he is. Verse 10. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In, in verse 10, they, they tried their best to explain it away. You know what, he's not the Messiah, that's not the truth that we hold. And they tried their best to, to make it look foolish, to explain it away. The Bible says they could not. Here's the point, I want, man, I want you to get this. This is God's wisdom. Now, I, don't, I don't want you to get confused here. This isn't mine. This isn't Baptist wisdom. It's not a denomination. This is God's wisdom. This is God's truth. And I want you to listen. Here's the deal. The truth will always stand. The truth will always stand. You do not have to be scared of the truth. Man, I, old people, I wish we'd get that. Younger people, I wish we'd get that. Kids that are getting ready to go to college, I hope you get that. The truth will always stand. The truth will always stand. You do not have to be fearful of the truth. It will always stand. Let me just tell you something. <laughs> Tennis may be down next week. Let me, let me just tell you something. 
I preach some crazy stuff. I know it, and I'm aware of it. I preach some crazy stuff. I preach there is a God, and that there is only one God. And we're not all part of a great big existence as God. I preach there's only one true God, our God. I preach he is the creator of each and everything. All things, not one thing, go look, not one thing exists that he didn't create. He is the creator of all things. I preach that he did that with his words that he spoke it into existence. Well, how do we get created? He spoke it all into existence. I preach, listen, that he did it in six actual, factual, literal morning, noon, and night days. That's what I preach. I preach that evolution is a lie. Listen, it's getting crazier. I preach it's a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. I preach he did it. Ooh, listen, not in billions of years, not in millions of years, not, not in 10,000s of years. I preach that he did it in just over 6,000 years. Woo, it's gonna get crazy. Listen to me. I preach that this is his word. I preach that this is the word of God. And because it is, it is literal and it is real and it is accurate. I preach that it has no error, not in form and not in substance. I preach all of it. All of it from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. I want to tell you, if you hang around long enough, you're going to hear I preach. I preach that a bush burned. I preach that a sea stood up. I preach that the walls of Jericho fell smooth down. I preach that an axe head floated. I preach that the prophets of Baal were defeated and the altar of God stood as a memorial of who he was. I preach that a fish swallowed a man. You can't live in a fish. That's what I preach. And I preach that God empowered all of it. I preach, listen to me, what God has called a sin, no matter what the world says, no matter what the politicians say, no matter what the culture says, I preach that if God has called it a sin, brother, it is a sin. Oh, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen today. I preach a savior for that sin. I preach the Savior for that sin. His name is Jesus. And I want to tell you, he was announced by angels. I want to tell you, he's born of a virgin. I want to tell you, the whole thing was marked by a star. I preached that he lived a life of no sin. Well, he didn't record everything. I preached he never sinned, not one sin. I preached that he came and he healed the lame. And it wasn't some Mickey Mouse deal where he made your leg an inch longer. He healed the lame. Get up and walk. Take up your mat. I preached that he healed the blind, that he gave him sight. I preach that that Savior from sin went to the cross of Calvary and there he died. An actual, physical, literal death. They stretched out his hands, the perfect Lamb of God, and there he sucked for air and he died and his blood ran out. That's what I preach. I preach that that was for the payment of sin. It wasn't because of a wicked people, it was because of sin and the wickedness of all of us. I preach that three days later he lives again and that he stands in victory. The risen Savior, I preach that we're saved by God's grace, not of any work of our own, that we're saved by faith in Jesus alone. I preach there's no other way, no other way to be saved. 
But I preach when you profess faith in that Savior Jesus Christ, brother or sister, you are saved. It is finished. You don't need a baptism. You don't need a work. You don't need something else. You are saved. And I preached it one day, and I'll tell you, I don't think it's very long. There's going to be the blast of a trumpet and the voice of an archangel. And that same Savior, Jesus, is coming to get his church. And we will be with him there. And the Bible says, and comfort one another with those words. I preached that there's the devil and that he and his angels and all those that are lost in the last day will be poured into a lake of fire. I preached a little actual hell. But I want to tell you the fruit of the cross, the grace of God. I preached it one day that all things will be made new and there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more sun for the Lamb himself will be the light. And I preached on that day, not a person will be sick. We won't gather again by a headstone in a grave and Jesus will stand with his people redeemed and we will worship for eternity. And that's what I preach. And let me just tell you this. I'm not scared to preach any of it. I'm not scared to preach any of it. People come along and say, well, let me tell you a better way to say that. Let me tell you a better way to say it the way God has said it. Well, let me tell you how to make that more believable. I don't care what you say. Listen, I believe it because God has said it. I'm not scared to preach it. Here's the deal. The truth will stand. The truth will stand. The truth will stand. Well, this radical, crazy disciple, Stephen, he held godly wisdom and he doesn't have to shrink back. He stood up. He stood on the truth. He did not wince. God's truth will stand. Verses 11. This sermon's getting long. Then they secretly introduced men to say, man, look at this. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, verse 12. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, all of them. And they came up to him and this old guy, this good guy, they dragged him away and brought him before the council, verse 13. And they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, worst thing you could do for a Jew. Verse 14, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Let me tell you the truth of these verses, and that's this. world can't stand the gospel message. That's a mystery. The world's saved by the gospel message, if they're ever going to be saved, but the world can't save the gospel message. Now, here's the thing. They can't discredit it. They try And so they result, listen, to destroying the messenger. They tried, man, these are learned people. And they tried to discredit the message. They couldn't do it. And so they turned their attention and they decided they would destroy the messenger. Here's the way they do it. They're gonna do it with lies and slander. Lies and slander. Now listen very carefully, church. It says that they stirred up. It is the original language and it looks like what it is. They stir, they whipped them up. They pulled them aside. They fed them a bunch of lies. They whipped them up. Have you heard that? 
What do you think about that? Are we gonna stand for that? They stirred them up. They, they riled them up. It says the people, not just the leaders anymore, but the people. And the way they did it was by lying and slandering the messenger. Here's this awesome, marvelous disciple of Jesus filled with the grace of God. He's the one that says, you know what, I'll go feed the widows. You give me the plate. And they lie and they slander him and they attempt to bring him down in their lies and their slander. Church, I want you to hear me. That is the way of Satan. Listen, that, well, I heard somebody saying something. Listen, that's the way of Satan. That's not funny. That's not a laughing matter. That's not normal business in the Baptist church. That's no light thing. That is the trick and the ploy of Satan himself. It has always been his way. He is the father of lies. They couldn't stand the message, so they decided, you know what, we'll kill the messenger. We'll ruin the messenger. And they try it with, with lies and slander. Understand today, that is the vile wickedness of Satan himself. Kill the messenger. The verses say they take him before the court. They've stirred up everybody. They snatch him up. They drag him away. He can walk. They drag him away. They take him before the court. Now, I want you to notice we won't go into it. It's the same charges that they make against Jesus. Have you heard what he's been saying against the temple and the laws of Moses? It's the same charges brought against Jesus. They take Stephen and they set him before the high priest. He is God's disciple. He possesses God's wisdom. He's not scared of it. And the third thing we're going to see, God's approval. Verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Here they are, they drag him in. And they set him up there, and the high priest and all those folks are gathered up, and they look upon him. And his face radiates, it shines, it looks the best description that he can come up with right here. It, it looks like the face of an angel. Listen, Stephen actually radiates the glory of God. He radiates the holiness and the glory of God. This only happens one other place in the whole Bible. And that's with Moses. In the book of Exodus, remember he goes up on the mountain and he meets with God and after being in the presence of a holy God, remember he comes down the mountain and the Bible says his face is aglow. The only other time this happened, here's Moses, he comes down the mountain, his face is aglow. The Bible says he was radiating the glory of God so much so that they put a veil over his face. It was too bright to look at Moses. You wanna know what I think this means? And, and, and this is what I think, but this is what I, this is what I believe. I think this is because God sees Stephen. And I think it's because God sees his heart. And God sees his integrity. And God sees his faith. And it's no fickle faith. It's going to go all the way to the end. He, he sees his faith. And I think that they, as, they, as they've dragged him there and they set him up there, I think he makes it clear to the people as they look on him and his face is radiating. You know what? You may slander him. And you know what? You may tear him down. In a little while, you may go outside and crush him with rocks and you'll, you'll tear him to pieces. 
but you will do it knowing he is mine. And his words and his life and a little bit his death and for now his face radiate the glory of God. That's what I think this is about. You know what, you may kill him, but you're gonna know he was mine. And his face is gonna radiate the glory of God. A disciple radiates the glory of God. Are you still content with normal? Are you, are you still okay with normal? Do you read this account? This is a guy like us. This is a man like us. He radiated the glory of God. Listen, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, your life should radiate the glory of the living God. That's what this description brings us to. And so are you still content with normal? Is that okay with you? The disciple radiates the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for this guy, Stephen. And I know he's there now and I know he's rejoicing. And I know he's in the presence of his King Jesus. But I'm thankful for his walk of faith. I'm thankful for his life that could be held up and say, look at that. Lord, I pray that the glory from that event do you goes on in this service, is added to it in this service. Lord, I pray as we hear this account that each of us would not be content to live another year, to live another decade, to work another job, to go through these events and not radiate the glory of a living God. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray the fruit of that would be that we make disciples who make other disciples. I pray the fruit of that, the gospel would go out. I pray the fruit of that is you'd be glorified and you'd be known. Lord, help us to look like Christ, but Lord, help us to take this list and look like it. Lord, I do pray if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you. I pray as they hear the truth of what we preach and what we believe, I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. I pray that you'd move in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you're glorified, that you're known, that you're lifted up in this event. I submit it to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.